in the middle of a series that we started last week. And uh, let me just say to you, if you weren't here last week for any reason, um, find a way to listen to last week's message because it really sets up what we're doing over the next couple of weeks after this one. And it's a, a series of messages from the book of Haggai. And we're talking about some some interesting kind of concepts about what it means to bring back the glory of God in our lives and our church and among his people. And um, the idea of reversing Ichabod, which is a really kind of strange title, comes from the use of the word Ichabod in the Old Testament. We told the story last week, and we won't go in detail about it again, but there was a particularly bad day in the history of Israel when they lost a battle, lost the Ark of the Covenant, lost one of their generals, and then lost their spiritual leader all in one day. And in the midst of losing all of that, the news gets back to this woman that's about to give birth, and it is Eli's daughter-in-law. And Eli has just died after hearing that the ark has been taken. And it says when the daughter-in-law hears the ark has been taken, she immediately goes into birth. She dies in labor, but before she dies, she names the child Ichabod. Because the glory, she says, has departed from the people of God. And so what we're talking about in these days is a book later in the Old Testament, several hundred years later in the Old Testament, where a prophet comes to a group of people who, after being displaced, find themselves back in their native Israel around Jerusalem, but they haven't completed the work that God had called them to do. And we talked about last week that it was an issue of priorities, that that they come back and they build all their own houses, they get everything taken care of in their houses. In fact, the prophet comes to him and says, is it okay for you not to rebuild the house of the Lord when your own houses have been paneled, decorated, settled in, and yet you haven't completed what God called us to do? Now again, we talked about it. it wasn't so much the building as it was the priority of God in their lives. Well, this week we're going to continue that story. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue the story of seeing how this prophet Haggai, this guy that prophesied only for a few months, a short period of time, and the second shortest book in the Old Testament, how he encouraged the people to invite the presence of God back into their lives, back into their nation. And in Haggai chapter 2, what we see is that he has to come back and encourage them. Here's what happens. In the first chapters we talked about last week, he gets on to about not building the temple. And those of you that were here last week, what do they start to do? They build the temple, right? Maybe if you were here last week, you might need to go back and listen too. They start to build the temple, okay? So they begin, the foundation had been laid, but they start to build the temple. Well, here's what happens. Within about a month of them starting to rebuild the temple, holiday season hits. You you know what holiday season is like, right? If you just take um, from November and December around here, or from Thanksgiving to New Year's Eve, it's just crazy. Well, in the Jewish calendar, they had a similar month that started with the New Year's celebration, or not New Year's, atonement celebration, went through one festival, and at the end of the month, only a couple of weeks later, one of the biggest festivals was there. And so what had to happen is these people started the work on the temple, but they didn't get very far before they realized that, you know what, we've got to have a festival. And so we've got to at least build something 
where they can come back. And their idea, I believe, was we can really excite some people. When they come back, they'll see that we're started the progress. And we have an altar we can celebrate these festivals at the temple site. People will be so excited about it. And so the first one comes and there's initial excitement about what's happening. The work continues. Then the festival comes, the first festival, everything's going good. But by the third festival, people are realizing we're having these festivals on a makeshift altar in what ought to be a glorious temple. And they start to get discouraged. Discouragement is a natural part of life, but it is especially prevalent whenever you begin a work for the Lord. Whenever you begin to do the thing that God has called you to do, discouragement seems to come at you in very real ways. Now, these people got discouraged from a lot of angles, it looks like, but they were particularly discouraged by the way the temple began to look. And what is kind of behind this or understood in this passage is that while they were building the temple, there were people commenting about it all around. Well, it's nice, but in churches, sometimes we have an unofficial committee called the cold water committee you know what the cold water committee is they're those people that are around specifically to pour cold water on any idea that might come up i got an amen on that well the people rebuilding the temple had their cold water committee in fact haggai is going to deal directly with them about what's happening Because it seemed that these people started to really get into the building. That's what we see in chapter 1. But only a few weeks later, in fact, this message is given. Remember I told you last week that Haggai, you can date it to the date. This is given in the middle of October. So we're talking about from August 29th when Haggai first spoke. Three weeks later they start building the temple. So within a month, these people are pretty discouraged. Let's look at Haggai chapter 2. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through Haggai, the prophet. Now, just for your knowledge, I told you last week it would have been August 29th, uh, 520 B.C. This date is October 17th, 520. So this is the word that he gives. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, and the remnant of the people. Verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like nothing to you? Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. The Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. The Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you, the declaration of the Lord of hosts. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. For the Lord of hosts says this once more in a little while. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with the glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver and the gold belong to me, the declaration of the Lord. The final glory of the house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of hosts. I'll provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Here's what the prophet is going to tell the people. 
when discouragement enters into your life, proper perspective helps get you through it. When discouragement is there, you must have a priority on the perspective that you have about what is happening. Perspective can change a lot. I mentioned um, Ava's sleeping, and Ava actually has done very well uh, sleeping. She's done, uh, you know, it's one of those things you hate to talk about doing well because you're always concerned that that'll change immediately upon saying that she's doing well. But she's doing really well. Now, the first night was not good. You know how I am convinced they have something in the hospital that makes babies sleep all the time in the hospital. And then when you get home, they wake up. And Ava woke up at 11 o'clock at night on the first night we were home and decided she wanted to investigate her new home till about 4 in the morning. Now, we, we had scheduled the next day our doctor's appointment, the checkup uh, on Friday. Or, or actually, it wasn't. It was two days later. It was on Friday. We had our checkup, and um, we went to the doctor. And, you know, Susan and I, this is our fourth go-around, and so we understand that the first night is not indicative of the rest of nights, and the first month is not indicative of the rest of months. And so we were going, and we were tired, and she had slept better the second night, but we were ready and had our questions and all of that. But uh, in front of us that morning, checking in, were a couple who had a newborn with them. And... The mom's um, makeup wasn't applied exactly correctly. And the dad's hair had not been combed like it normally should be. And we heard them checking in, and we're standing there at the window so we can hear the conversation. And I'm sure they're a fine couple, but it was pretty evident early on this was number one. And they started to talk to the lady, and the lady said, when were you released from the hospital? And they said about 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon. And then she just, and she asked us this, this is, you know, I'm sure this is the list of questions they give. So when did you get released? What was your first night like? You know, all so she said, oh, did y'all have a good first night? And the woman just said, no. And that is why we are here today. We were not supposed to come till Monday, but we have lots of questions we need answered now. Susan and I have a different perspective than they do. We know we're going to... I remember with Eli. You know, they tell you in the hospital, sleep when the baby sleeps, get your rest, and you're just so excited. We, we kept him in the room with us the entire time we were in the hospital. Didn't sleep a wink hardly in the hospital. Get home. I remember the first day I went back to work, sitting at my desk thinking, that desk looks like the most comfortable pillow I have ever seen. Perspective changes how you deal with situations. It changed how we dealt with Ava on the first night. And what Haggai wants these people to understand is it will change how you deal with discouragement in your own life. And there are three things he's going to challenge them on their perspective. And the first one is this, that they must think about the present, not the past. Can't you hear the people around as they're building, man, that's not going to look anything like what we used to have. Boy, I remember that temple of Solomon and it was something. 
There's no way we're going to be able to do that. I mean, we just can't do that anymore. I'm sure it's going to be a nice little temple, but I remember when. Do you know one of the most damaging phrases that you can use in your life when talking about the difficulties of the present is I remember when. The good old days. Everybody walked uphill to school both ways. Right? Barefooted through the 14 inches of snow that came in January and July. There have been more churches derailed by the I remember when syndrome than any other syndrome in American life. Well, I'm sure it's going to be great, but I remember when. In the life of this church, it's easy. We could look back and some of you could say, I remember when John Christian was here. Man, those were good days. I, I remember when we built that family life center. We had people just flowing in all the time. Man, I remember back then. The danger with I remember when is you don't recognize what God is doing now. And these guys were sitting around and, and Haggai comes and kind of plays to them a little bit. How many of you remember Solomon's temple? Now the truth is by this time there would have been very, very few people who remembered Solomon's temple. In fact, there would have been very few people who would have had any recollection. There may have been some children of some guys and sometimes the worst memories are the children of the people that have the actual memories. And they says, I remember, Haggai, who uh, did not remember it probably, he wasn't around then. He goes, I think you remember that. Man, I bet that was something. And this, this looks like nothing. And then he directs their attention to do what God's called them to do. It's okay to remember the past if you're not locked there. Let me just say this. One of the easiest things to do, one of the things as believers and as churches and as groups of Christians we cannot do is to allow the past to derail our present. Good or bad. There are some people that have a terrible past and they allow that past to haunt them for years and years and years to come. Some people, it is a glorious past and it allows them to forget about what God is doing now and only focus on what it was like then. Haggai looks at him. Doesn't even seem like anything. And then verse 4 he says, Even so, be strong. Be strong. And do what you're supposed to do. Now, here's the thing. Reading that initially, you might think, well, Haggai's going to admit right away that this temple's not going to be as good as the past one. But that's not the way he's going to play it. And we're going to see that in just a minute. His first point is, don't let the past derail what we're doing in the present. There are other um, there are other uh, kind of accounts of this kind of moment in Scripture. In one account, um, in Ezra, they, they show the, the, these people that had seen the temple, and they begin to weep and to wail when they see the new temple go up. Now, to them, the reason they begin to weep and to wail when they see the new temple go up is because it's not like the old one. It's not like the good old days. And what we see there is their reliance on the past 
prevents them from experiencing God in the present. Listen, church. We had some glorious days in the past of this church. Some of you were a part of that. I'm not far from my fifth anniversary as your pastor, and we've had some glorious moments together even five years. But if we ever begin to live or to dwell or to remember too fondly the past, we will negate what God wants to do in the present. So the first thing he says, get a proper perspective. Don't be so focused on the past that you miss out on what's happening here in the present, in the here and now, and what's going on in this moment. The second thing he says is, don't focus so much on the outward stuff that you miss what's happening inwardly. And I love this because he's saying, listen, it's not going to look like it. If you know anything about what a... What Solomon's temple was like, it was magnificent. It was glorious. It was something to be uh, sought after for the whole world to come see. It took years to build. It took, um, in today's terms, millions and billions of dollars to complete. It was a spectacle of the ancient world. And he says it's not going to look like that right now. But focus on what's happening inwardly. He looks at him and he says, here's an interesting little tidbit for you. This particular festival that was happening, the end of this festival, which was the festival of booze, was the festival that Solomon dedicated his own temple on. And so as they're sitting there seeing the temple that's kind of rough and hadn't had much work done, they're thinking about that glorious moment of Solomon's rededication. And God says to them, be strong. He gives these kind of uh, secondary commands. Be strong. Be strong. He talks to Joshua. He talks to Zerubbabel. He says it to the people. And then he says to work. And he tells them the reason to do that is because he is with them. And he's going to do what he promised to do. What he says to them is this. More important than what the outside of this temple will eventually look like is the fact that my presence is with you and will dwell with you and will change you in what you're doing. He wants them to realize that their motivation for doing this is not just what the world will think or what the people will think, but their motivation is to do it because God has called them to do it. It is an inward motivation. And then he challenges them on this last thing. To not worry about the short term, but think about the long term. Get a long view of what God is doing. He says this in verse 6, once more in a little while. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. He's saying, listen, just like I brought you out of Egypt, their most important moment in their history, one day I'm going to do something even more valuable. And he says, and all the treasures of the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. The silver and gold are mine. Don't you worry about what the temple looks like. I own it all. I love what he says in verse 9. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first. Now, I want you to get just a, a, a mental image for a moment in your, of what's going on. This nation is standing around. They are looking at a shabby, broken down, 
just starting process of building the temple. And the prophet comes to him and says, you may have heard stories of that unbelievable Solomon's temple, but let me tell you, this work that you are starting today will end up being greater than what Solomon had. Now, that wasn't going to happen in a year or two years or three years. It was going to happen in hundreds of years. Let me tell you kind of the rest of the story. Y'all remember Paul Harvey, right? The rest of the story. Not long after this, King Darius decided that he was finally getting a grip on the entire kingdom he was over and he began to get money from everywhere and one of the places he diverted money was to the temple in Jerusalem. Built it into a fabulous place. Several years later, the improvements would continue. A guy came to power named Herod. And Herod took the Roman stuff and wanted to make a show place for the nations, not for God, but for him. But he put all kinds of money into it. And by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, this just started temple is the showpiece of the ancient world. Now, here's what I think this prophet is foreshadowing even more than that. The temple that Solomon built was destroyed and Solomon had done a great thing in bringing the nations there. But the temple they were building would one day be the place where the Son of God would teach. It was going to be 500 years later, but it would be the place the Son of God was going to teach. We live in an instantaneous, let me have it now kind of world. We live in a world where anything we want, it seems we can have in 30 minutes or less. And God sometimes tells us to take the long-term vision. Can I tell you something, First Baptist Goodlessville? I don't know what God's plans completely are for this place, but here's the way that I want to pastor this church. I want to pastor this church in the present as God has called us to do, to love Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love people, to be passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But I also want to be a part of a church that is planning for the impact this church can have in 50 years and 100 years and 150 years. Because it's about much more than us. We are on the verge of opening up our new children's and preschool area downstairs. And I am so excited about it. And I am very excited, not just about now, but the way it's going to serve this church for years. And I hope it's the first step in a process that 50 years down the road, it was the first in a stage of progressions that happened. I hope this sanctuary is the first in a progression of things that happened. Haggai comes to these people that are terribly discouraged. they got people all around them reminding them the good old days and what it used to be and what it was like back then. Saying it'll never be like that. And Haggai looks at them and says, don't get discouraged. Be strong. Don't fear. And work. Because what you're doing today is laying the foundation for God to shake the nations. First Baptist Goodlettsville, we're in a great time in the life of this church. And it's going to be easy in the midst of this to get discouraged at times. But the Lord calls us to be strong and to not fear and to work.
Because what we're doing is laying the foundation and building for something where God will shake the nations. And I want to be a part of that. In your own life, when you get discouraged, it's easy to just give in and listen to the voices inside or outside. But God is calling you to be strong and not fear and to work. Because your life is about much more than what's happening in your past or even today. It's about laying out a plan and a purpose to shake the nations for the kingdom of God. 